Your attention, please. please. Listening to the AMPM podcast may cause recurring revenue streams and unfair, unfair advantages over your competitors. Other side effects may include better wallets, fired bosses, and longer vacations. Listen at your own risk. Here's your host, seven-figure entrepreneur and online marketing madman, Manny Coates. Manny Coates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the AMPM podcast. My name is Manny Coates, and I will be your host, and this is the show where we discuss all things Amazon private label and how to generate recurring revenue streams 24 hours per day during the AM and the PM, hence the name of the show. Get it? AM, PM, podcast. As a matter of fact, last night, I would say probably about 9 p.m., we stayed late here at the office, me and Guillermo, and we decided, you know what, in between our work here, we're gonna play a game. We fired up the Oculus system and we were playing Dead Hungry. It's a zombie game where you're feeding them burgers and it's really interactive, really crazy. Highly recommend it if you don't have one of these things. So the goal was to actually finish a level and if you finish the level, then the next person, which would be either myself or Gee, would jump on until that person could finish the level. The other person would be doing work until that happened. So it was a great amount of fun. It made the late night work session pretty cool. I think we got to level 12 feeding the zombies. So while we were out there in a food truck, making sure we didn't get devoured by the undead, we were making money. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. All right, everybody, I am here with Moshe Hurwitz. We're going to have some really, really cool information. Moshe, first of all, how are you doing? Very good. Thank you. How about yourself? I am great. Thank you. Where are you at right now? Uh, New York City, Manhattan. Okay, cool. All right. So we're both here in the U.S. And I wanted to bring you on because you have some interesting, some interesting things that have happened in your life with the business. And one of the things most recently is you just sold your business. Is that right? Yes, sir. Well, tell us about how long ago you started, what you build up to, and then maybe if you could tell us how much you sold for and kind of what that process was like. Absolutely. So um, I started um, sales in January of 2016, and I sold the business in June of 2018. So exactly two and a half years of sales. Um, I started with $12,000. By the time of sale, my, uh, you know, my 12, my trailing 12 months of gross sales was at a million dollars. I sold, I punched out for just under a million around 950,000 between the price of the the sale as well as some retained earnings. So that's kind of, you know, the the nitty gritty of it all. Uh, It was a uh, private label brand, just one brand, um, you know, start started out uh, with one product in that brand. And by the time I sold, there was around just, uh, it was around 27, uh, SKUs or so. Um, so that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Nice. The, were those 27 brands where they are 27 SKUs were they, so these were all under one brand. Were they all different products or were they child variations? Um, so, uh, all under one brand, uh, m- mostly different products, some variations, some color variation or quantity variations, color variations, but uh, not too many, honestly, They're mostly different products. How many of those products what would you say represented 80% of your sales? So the almost all, almost all products uh, were at around, you know, three to 4% of sales with just one, like the, the one product that sold more than anyone 
represented about 10% of sales. So it was fairly even, uh, to, uh, honestly. That's good. All right. Awesome. Have you ever dropped a product for some reason? Of course. Yeah. Uh, what was the reason? <laughs> I have, I, I, I have probably, I, I haven't counted, but somewhere between five or eight, you know, products that have either, you know, were uh, dead on arrival or, you know, kind of fizzed out. That's just the nature of the business. Okay, cool. Now you started a couple of years ago. How much did you generate your first year total? So uh, gross for, so, you know, for me, it's fun because I started sales right at the beginning of January, 2016. So it's easy for me, you know, to talk about an entire year. So, um, uh, 2016, my gross was $275,000. Uh, uh, 2017, my gross was $750,000. And uh, by the time of sale in June of uh, 18, my trailing 12 months was at a million and growing rapidly. Nice. And you sold for almost a million, right? So just shy of that, right? How did they do the valuation on that? Uh, so the valuation is a multiple of the net discretionary earnings. So the net discretionary earnings means your your profits plus um, the salary that you pay the owner plus non-essential, non-reoccurring expenses that you may have. Got it. Um, and so they'll give you a multiple on that. And uh, I think actually there's something interesting to be said on what's happening with that multiple is that as as the as the time passes, I see that digital companies are you know, they're earning higher and higher multiples because essentially buyers are becoming more and more um, comfortable buying them. And so, you know, you've been around, uh, you know, long enough. A couple of years ago, you know, you would get, you know, one to two year multiples on your net. Now it's three, five, six. Yeah. What'd you get, by the way? Where were you at? I was at around four. Four. Okay. That's good. Awesome. Are you repeating the process at this point or did you move into a different space? I thought, I, I thought about it. Uh, you know, when I first uh, punched out, I did, you know, help a bunch of companies and a bunch of friends and, you know, I considered opening another one, but I took a hard look at the entire market, the entire uh, e-commerce and digital market as a whole. And I understood that, uh, you know, we're in e-commerce and private label and all that, but that's just one piece of a much larger puzzle that is e-commerce uh, or, dig or digital. Um, and I was like, I want to try to like kind of run with the big boys. Um, and so, you know, that's what I ended up doing. I ended up taking uh, a couple of, uh, you know, biz debt positions and, you know, larger, more established companies in the field. And, and, you know, as you know, now I'm, I work at one of them. Okay. So you're building up those companies and you've got some equity. You got something that's going on there that should be lucrative down the road for you then. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get a pretty decent commission uh, as well as equity. But yes, exactly. You're exactly right. Very cool. Okay. And so how did you find your first product? Was it a passion product or was it something else? So that's actually a good question. So I, um, I um, you know, I did the whole product research thing. and I'm, I'm extremely methodical. Um, and after, you know, a whole lot of research, I, it came down to three products. There were three seeds for three different brands. And I launched all three simultaneously with 12 grand. Um, and two of them flopped uh, and one of them took off. Um, and so I, I you know, I kind of earned back whatever I invested on the two uh, products that didn't go well. And I rolled those over to the one that was doing well. Uh, and, and I didn't, you know, know anything, you know, one was like geriatric care. The other one was, you know, like bar, uh, you know, bar stuff. And the other one was, uh, art supplies. And, 
I, you know, knew, I knew nothing about any of them. You know, I was just looking at the numbers. I was looking at logistics. I was looking at demand. I was looking at, you know, the stuff I thought I should look at. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Awesome. So you got into these products, two of them failed. What did you do with the ones that failed? You said you got your money back. Did you do anything special with those? So yeah, let's talk about failure. Um, failure is a broad term. Uh, I failed. Looking back on it, I could have made two of them work, not one, had I had a little bit better skills off the bat. Uh, one of them, you know, if I had my wits, I just wouldn't have done it to begin with. Um, but, you know, all is good. And so the first failure was, you know, I failed to understand the IP landscape, the intellectual property landscape. And I walked straight into a, straight into a patented uh, product. And I could have, I could have mitigated that had I, had I chosen um, a, a slightly different design. But by the time that, you know, the, the design that I had was, or, you know, selling, you know, it just didn't make sense for me to go and redo it because I had, I launched the three products simultaneously because I wanted to do it as a basket to see what works and what doesn't. And I had one that worked. I didn't really care to go back and redo. But by the time that the IP uh, owner had reached out to me, it was selling well. Uh, and so I've earned my money back. And when the IP uh, owner, you know, sent their, their cease and desist, I thought, okay, cool. No worries. Uh, and instead of me going back and, you know, redesigning it and all that, I was like, no, nah, let me take like, this other product is, is selling really well. Let me take that money and expand on that brand. And the other, uh, the other failure, uh, it was again, you know, maybe a failure to, to, to really understand the competitive, you know, my competitors, uh, how many I had and their advantage on pricing being as though it was something that was sourced from India and, um, you know, the Indians, they're really, really good. It's, you know, going direct. I couldn't really compete with them, you know, on, on the, you know, the price wise as it went down and down. And so that those are the two failures. Do you prefer working with specific countries? You said India. Did you also work with China? Yeah, I worked. Uh, that was that, that single failure was the only product that I sourced from India. Everything else was, um, you know, China predominantly, although I did because I went you know, with my brand that took off, I did some advanced OEM uh, down the road. And so, you know, eventually I would uh, import, uh, I, would look, I would look for the best of the best components. And so eventually I, w- I, I did import, you know, parts from Korea or Japan or, and, you know, it all goes to, to China to be assembled, but the absolute majority is China. Yeah. Okay. So you got everything assembled there and then you shipped it out to the U.S. Did you use any freight forwarders? Did you handle that yourself? <laughs> freight forwarders, man. Shout out Flex Flexport. You know, no no affiliation. They were good to me. They 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 did their job really well there. Cool. Flexport I've heard really good things about. If you guys are brand new and you're listening to this, you're in need of a freight forwarder, Flexport. They're the largest or one of the largest from what I've seen and heard, their system and you integrating and using it is supposed to be really, really good. Perfect. What advice can you give new sellers in terms of mistakes you've made and how to avoid maybe some of those mistakes? Obviously, you just talked about one, which was intellectual property. Would you do things differently now when it comes to IP? Yeah, absolutely, man. If it looks, if it looks like you know, somebody needs to explain it on the home shopping network, stay away, my man. Um, if it looks like it has uh, such a unique functionality to it that you feel is so unique or unfamiliar, take the time pay, pay a couple hundred, but if you really want to do that product, pay a couple hundred bucks to a lawyer. It is just the cheapest uh, of all the possibilities. 
When you say pay a lawyer, you're paying them to do what specifically? To search. Uh, uh, so if you're seeing if you're seeing a product that is has a really unique functionality that you're just you know like I said it's a unique functionality you don't see too many or other people doing it, be a bit suspicious. Go you know there's there pay a lawyer to find out if somebody has a, a utility or a design patent on it. Uh, they, that you know, you can find lawyers that'll do that for a couple hundred bucks. You can find lawyers that'll do it for over a thousand dollars. But you can find lawyers that'll do it for, for you know, two hundred fifty, three hundred dollars, and it will be money well spent. Right. That's really good advice, actually. We had the same issue, probably. Man, it was a while back. I think I might have talked about it on one of the podcasts briefly. I might not have even talked about what the product was, but it was like a rifle rack type thing. And it had all these custom things where you could bring it down and up really quickly. So like if you're a hunter and you wanted to go out, you could get it out of your pack and, poof, and within seconds you're there. And I thought, this is cool. I looked at the numbers. They were really, really good. I'm like, why is there hardly any competition? This is crazy. And I found the supplier that made this one. We we're just about ready to actually go and move forward with this. And then I was like, you know what? Let me just kind of do some patent searches. And sure enough, that company had a bunch of patents on how they did stuff. And even talking to the supplier, they're like, there's no patents. And like, there's patents in the US. Maybe there's no patents in China. They know. They, they, yeah, they knew and they were just trying to, to sell it you know, to us. And that would have been a problem because we were going to be ordering a container full of these things. So which would have been a nightmare. So yeah, do a little bit. You can do it yourself. You could do some patent searches. And if you don't come up with anything, then I'd probably pay an attorney to do a little bit deeper diving, see if there's anything there. But yeah, I did it myself. And in five minutes, I found something that saves you a lot of money. It's The worst thing is when you got everything set up and then a weekend, boom, you're taken down by Amazon because of infringement. Yeah, I was uh, patent patent law is the nastiest arena I've seen. I I got I got um, uh, asserted by uh, uh, you know a two hundred million dollar company. They tried they tried to bully me out of business, and you know a year later I had to assert a patent myself against somebody. Luckily for me, you know I did well on both times. But I will tell you, IP is the nastiest arena that I have seen. Do not play games over there. Yeah. What are some of the things you would tell some new sellers? Give three tips that you tell everybody that's starting out. Yes, sir. First of all, I'll say that um, to me, product research is the most important thing that you'll ever do in the, in the life of your company. You cannot polish a turd. <laughs> what do you look for in, in a product when you're doing product research? Well, you know, there's a number, there's a number of things. I, I mean, you know, I don't care. Me personally, I don't care if it's big. I don't care if it's small. I don't care if there is or isn't nationally recognized brand name competition. As a matter of fact, I like it if, if the biggest dogs, you know, on the yard are, are uh, nationally recognized uh, brands because I know that they can't, they're not as agile as me. Um, I, you know, I know this even better now that I, you know, work with them. Um, and so what I, what I want to know ultimately is a number of things. First of all, I want to know uh, if, uh, you know, if, if it's something that's related to people's passion or people's need, then that's really, really good. Uh, if, uh, you know, I like to take a look at Google Trends, it takes five seconds to do it. And, and you can take a look at if, you know, if the graph is going down, stay away. Um, if the graph is going up, be interested. If the graph is, if the graph is parabolic, it's a fad. Um, you know, if the, if, et cetera. Um, as, and, um, uh, you know, as far as the BSR, you know, you gotta know how to read it. And so, you know, 
there is just a little bit of experience needed in learning how to read the, the BSR history. Um, but, you know, the, the, you know, keep on camel, camel, camel. They, they'll let you know if there's lightning deals happening, right? And, and, and uh, you can recognize giveaways. You should be able to recognize giveaways and, and, and other manipulation. And so just, you know, between Google Trends and the BSR history and, uh, of course, taking a look at the margins, um, you know, and having it fall under either uh, a passion of pe people's deep passion, people's deep need. Uh, and if you can find something that's replenishable, kudos to you. So you like stuff that's replenishable because people are going to be ordering. I get that. Let's talk about profits because a lot of people don't factor in everything. We have a profitability calculator in Helium 10 now. If you're on a product page and you click on the icon, it pulls up all the information. You can put everything in there, like you know the storage fees and the shipping fees from China to the warehouse. And you can know very, very quickly, pretty accurately, almost down to the cent, what your margins are going to be. There's also ROI. Do you care about ROI? And are you looking for a specific type of ROI when you're ordering products? Yeah, so I do look at both margins and ROIs. Um, and the first thing I look at is ROI because, excuse me, I'm very cash aware. And so the first thing I look at is ROI. I want to know how much my, the money that I'm going to put down is going to make. It has to be uh, at least at 100% after all expenses and cushion. Um, you know, like planning for the worst. Um, if, if it's not at a hundred percent, what's, I'm not going to put my money there. Yeah, I agree. There's got to be something there. For those of you that aren't familiar with the difference between margin and ROI, I would recommend you spend 60 seconds on Google just to look it up because they're two different things. I had people that say, well, I'm profitable. I should keep these things. And then when I ask them about their, you know, what their ROI is, they don't know. And they're tying up their money for something that's super really low margin. And I'm like, you could be putting this into something else and turning that inventory four times a year, you know, and you start off with 5,000 and end up with, you know, a massive amount in the end, but you can't do that when you got poor ROI. So, okay. So that's interesting. That was one of the things for product research. What would be something else you would advise people? Something that you think would be very helpful. What do you do? Uh, let, me th let me think. Well, you know, everybody has different skills, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, my mantra is keep it simple. Like I, you know, I, I don't go crazy on keywords. I've, my experience was that there's literally five to eight um, key phrases that are going to convert um, at, at decent. So, so I don't go crap people. I don't go crazy on searching for long tails. I try to nail, what I do is I, you know, I try to nail the keywords that, that, that or the key phrases that matter. Uh, and that's about it. I do go heavy on, um, PPC, um, or used to, I'm not, you know, I don't have a brand anymore. Um, but, uh, my speciality really was, you know, I'm a digital marketer. Uh, you know, I, you know, I do go to market strategies and customer acquisition for a long time before e-commerce. And so my, my thinking is, and it's, I'm sure it's going to sound cliche, but you know, I want to really enhance, uh, you know, I want to participate. I want to understand who my consumer is. I want to understand how I can enhance their experience and how I can join in their experience harmoniously. And so that's what I do, you know, so I, I built, uh, as I mentioned, you know, I ended up importing different parts from different countries and assembling them in China. That's because I looked, trying to understand what 
would make my product, and again, it sounds cliche, but what would make my product the best for the people that, that will use it? Um, and that's, you know, that's the first thing I did. The second thing I did was, okay, how do I, you know, how do I participate in their experience? You know, I, I made something amazing for them. Now, how do I, now, how do I bring it into their life and, you know, turn it into a part of them? And, you know, in that respect, I did go heavy on uh, social media and influencers and, uh, and, 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 uh, activities and interact and interactivities. Um, and you know, as for, you know, anybody that may know me, I punched out, uh, when, when I sold my brand had 45,000 uh, followers on social media, they were all real and they were, uh, easily mobilized and extremely effective. They were very loyal. Um, and you know, that's what I did. That's maybe something that I could shed some light on. Um, you know, the people may want to, may want to consider doing. What kind of product was it that you sold? Art supplies? What did you do to differentiate your product so that you could grab that market share? Uh, great question. You know, so it wasn't, it wasn't really me. It was, it was my customers and so, or, or my potential customers at first, right? So the first thing I did before I had customers was I went into all the admins of all the largest, you know, groups for people that like to draw or whatever, and I told them what I was doing. I told them I'm building a brand and, uh, you know, forest supplies. And I, I wanted to know, it's, tell me what everybody wants. Tell me what, tell me what they're complaining about. Tell me, you know, what they wish that they had. Tell me, you know, all, and I just aggregated that for everybody that I could. And, you know, the, the repetitive stuff rose. And so, you know, there was a bunch of stuff that I could see was, was repetitive as problems or as things that were lacking or mm -hmm. things that they wish that they had. And that's what I made. Okay, cool. What kind of product was it? Pens or markers or whiteboards? What did you sell? Uh, pens, markers, pencils, sketch pads, paints, brushes. Okay. Were they bundles or it was everything individually packaged? Uh, sets. Okay. So you had sets. So not, not, not bundles, but, but, but you know what I mean? Like, I mean, just, just the color curation, um, was, was, you know, something, you know, what colors do you put in there? Do you random it? No. You know, I, I, I want to understand, you know, what, what people need, people, you know, and I delivered that to them. Okay. So that's good. So we're getting some with this. So, so you'd go in, you'd go into these groups and you'd find out, okay, I'm not going to just pick at random the colors I'm going to put in here. I want to find out the colors that are most used by the artists in these groups. And those are the things I'm going to curate. You know, for, for example, like the most, you know, the most, there was a, at the time there was a deep, deep demand for skin tone markers. It just wasn't enough out there. And, and then I did it. And it was very well received. And after I did it, I found out that guess what? Our, you know, our, our, our melanin brothers and sisters are underrepresented in that, uh, in that uh, area still. And so there was place to improve still, you know what I mean? And so it's just, it's, it's, and, and that's just in, 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 in the color curation area, there's, you know, I spent nine months on one product uh, on a uh, on development until I got, you know, the brush to be the exact, you know, kind of uh, a mix between soft and, 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 uh, and sturdy based on, again, that feedback. Okay. So you're doing well now up through 2017 and you've grabbed the attention of somebody who wants to acquire you or did you actually go out and use a firm to actually sell? What did you do there? 
So around the end of 2017, I was, I was, you know, obviously, oh, I started selling Jan 16. You know, it's, it's, it's obvious that I, I had a couple of months uh, before that uh, of work. And so by the end of 17, I was two years into it. I was doing, I was doing, you know, well, but you know how it is. You're constantly reinvesting and there's the uncertainty of the market and all of that. And so I figured it's time to, you know, uh, realize gains. And so I looked at, it's selling. And the first thing I thought was a strategic sale because there actually was a, uh, um, there actually was a part of the market that I captured. There was something, you know, something unique that I understood and, and captured and took a stake in. And so I thought, let me, let me offer myself as a strategic sale. And so I approached, um, you know, the, the largest, um, well-known brands out there to see if one of them wants to buy me strategically. And in fact, uh, you know, I did get the attention of three of the top five, you know, two aren't interested. The other one tried to sue me for, for uh, patent infringement. Uh, he tried to bully me, he, he tried to bully me out of business. Um, and so, and so, you know, that's a story on its own, um, a great learning experience and a fun story. Now uh, I, I'm not mad. I mean, the guy, the guy wasn't a nice guy, but I'm not mad. Um, and so the strategic route didn't, didn't pan out. And so, you know, I, I just approached brokers and I, you know, I figured out what that whole world was and, and made my, you know, my, the best decisions for me within that world. Cool. Do you want to mention the name of the broker or keep that private? Oh, I would love to. I love that guy. If it's all right with, it's all right with you. So his name is David Lilas uh, from website closers. Okay. Uh, hell, hell of a guy. Cool. Awesome. So you sold the business. How long did it take by the way, from the time you listed it until the time it was sold? Um, so there, obviously there was a bit of preparation work before we could list. Um, but once I listed, I got phone calls immediately. I, you know, had two offers, uh, within two weeks, within two weeks, I already accepted an offer. Um, I, in, in, in FY, you know, FYI, I sold for 112% of asking price. Um, and, and my asking price was already high. I know numbers, you know, I knew what to ask for. Um, but, uh, so within two weeks I had a signed offer. And, uh, took one more week for due diligence, but again, to be fair, I was, you know, I was neat and organized. And, uh, the only thing that really took time was the, the, you know, the bank to go through the motions of, uh, uh, you know, approving the financing, but I'll tell you all in all from the day that I listed to the day that the money was in my bank, it was a little under three months. And so, you know, it was, that's awesome. Yeah. How much money did you start your business with? 12 grand. 12 grand. Okay. That's what you said. All right. So 12 G's, you flip that a short period of time into nearly a million dollar cash payout. That's pretty cool. Did you put any more money in after the 12 grand? Um, so I never, I never took money out of the business um, because I, I kept working, um, you know, and, and so all the money went back into, into the business. About a year into it, I did take $36,000 from um, Amazon, uh, you know, lending. Um, and I will say this about that. Amazon constantly offered me, you know, ridiculous interest rates, 60%, 50%. I don't remember what it was, stuff that I would never agree to. And then, you know, one day I went in, on SBA on, you know, small business administration's website and I registered myself as a small business based on, you know, the closet of for me to do that. We all can do it. And it gives you a, a Dun and Bradstreet number and, and the SBA number. And if you go into Amazon, there's actually a place for you to punch that in. And the, the literally, the, 
I don't know, the hour that I did that, I, I didn't look the, the second later, but it, it, it felt instantaneously as I did that, the offer or the interest rate went from like 15% down to six and a half percent. And I was like, six and a half percent. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll take, I'll take, so, you know, I took, I took $36,000 and I repaid $37,200 over the course of the year. So that's a nugget right there. That's the nugget of the podcast so far, because so many people are getting the loan offers and they're not taking them because they're saying, well, the, the interest rate's too high. And I'm going to talk about that in a second, but you just figured out a way to within an hour, take the interest rate and cut it by more than half with one little tip. And how long did it take you on the small business loan site to actually do whatever you need to do there to bring it over to Amazon? Like an hour. I mean, I, I, I did that within an hour and, 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 and I took the loan the same day. I, I had no intention of doing, taking a loan. I didn't know that was going to happen, but it did. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, so it's going to cost me $1,200 to keep $36,000 for a year. That works for Here's my advice, and I'm not a financial advisor, guys, so definitely talk to your people and figure things out. But even if the interest rate is high, let's just say it's crazy and you're at a 20% interest rate, right? Go back to what Moshe said about ROI, right? If you can take, let's say, 30 grand that they give you, you get 100%. That's his minimum number, right? If you get 100% ROI, you're taking that 30 grand and turning it into 60 grand. And if you only turn that one time in a year, which would be terrible, right? Hopefully you do it more than once. But you still turn that 30 grand to 60 grand. So even when you pay back your percentage off the loan, you're way ahead. You're using somebody else's money to do it. So yeah, it's high. I get that. But you're using it to make money. It's not like you're using it for a mortgage payment or something like that, which hopefully also increases in value. But still, this is something that you're turning, you're flipping. If you can turn your inventory two times or three times in a year at 100% ROI, do the math. Start double it and then double it again. And then you pay back, in your case, under two grand worth of interest. <laughs> so. It was a no-brainer. And that's how you did it. You went from 12 grand, you kept doubling, and then you got that loan. And then pretty soon you're at nearly a million dollars cashing out. So that's super awesome. God bless. God. <laughs> I know, right? So that's awesome. I love that. We've been on for a little while. You've gained some really cool stuff. I want to ask you if there's any final nugget or tip that you want to give. And then I'm going to ask you one special question. So you're first. Anything you want to mention? I mean, to me, to me, you know, it was, it was the, the biggest, the biggest two things. First of all, just totally random Do Europe. It's so easy to, to, to set up Europe. I took, it's a shame that it took me almost two years to set up Europe because I was so scared of the, all the logistics that involved. And once I did it, I realized that it was so easy to do. And, and Europe has great sales. So, you know, pay some very, very serious consideration into doing it. I mean, that was just, that was just an additional immediate money across my portfolio. Um, and, and so, and so there's that. And second of all, uh, you know, with, with social media, you know, I, I wrote an article somewhere that, you know, how I did influencers for free and what it did to my brand. And I, you know, I'm not selling courses or anything, right. Everything I did is, is over there exactly how I did it. Um, between, between expanding into Europe and between, letting social media take my brand out of Amazon and into people's actual lives, uh, wherever they are. Um, that, that was huge for my brand. Awesome. Cool. All right. So final question here for you. You can go back in time and you could talk to yourself. You can whisper in your ear for five minutes. What would you say to yourself? I mean, that's a dangerous thing because not everybody's the same, but if I could do it, I would tell myself, be more aggressive, uh, be more confident. Um, uh, cause I'm, I was so careful. I, I didn't want to lose 
uh, any money. Um, and, you know, that's part of why I diversify when I started. But, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're nimble, if, you're, if, if you're, you do your research well, money's out there for the taking. And, and, and I wish I would have moved faster. I wish I would have, you know, been less slow. I don't want to say cautious because caution is very, very important. But just be more aggressive. That's what I would tell myself. Awesome. Cool. There you go, guys. We've been speaking to Moshe Hurwitz. He's dropped some nuggets here. If you guys have questions for him, definitely jump into our FBA High Rollers group on Facebook. We're going to be tagging him on this podcast. Moshe, if people want to reach out to you, they want to talk to you, get some advice, is there any other place they can do this? Actually, you have some blogs. I think that's one of the ways that I ran into you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I write from time to time, just, you know, to whenever I get a bunch of, you know, information I think everybody will enjoy. But I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I am on, on High Rollers. I, that is one of my favorite Facebook groups. And so, and actually a lot of people hit me up over there. And I'm, you know, I try to be as generous as I can with, with my time. Um, um, but LinkedIn is, you know, an easy way, easy place to find me. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Keep us posted on how everything moves forward with the new partnerships that you're doing. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, man. Take care. Thank you. If you're interested in hearing about product launches, definitely check out episode number 176 and episode number 188. Both go very, very deep into product launches. We have some of the best people in the industry that know about product launches coming on episode 188. And in episode 176, I dive deep on my personal experience with product launches. So check those out, episode number 176 and episode number 188. You've been listening to the AMPM podcast hosted by Manny Coates. For more information, insider, insider tools, tools, and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit ampmpodcast.com.